All right. Who's got a Bible? Mark chapter 1. That's where we begin. We are in a series called Mile Markers, and uh, we started last week. And last week, we kind of set out this idea that there are stages to following Jesus. And I'm just, over the next few weeks, I'm laying out different ways for you and I to see, potentially, our life in following Jesus. So last week, we talked about the three ways, which is one of the older versions of looking at this. We talked about um, awakening and illumination and purgation and union. Uh, Those are totally out of order. Um, But we talked about those ideas. Uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to some of those. But it's interesting, right? Uh, I've been pushing back a little bit on this idea that a lot of us have kind of grown up with. If you've gone to church for a while or gone to church all your life, there's this idea of that we all kind of had this conversion experience and maybe it was a one-time thing or maybe it was over time. And then what? Well, if you ask different people, it's different things. For some people, it's get your life right. For some people, it's go to church every Sunday and start reading the Bible, have a quiet time. All those things are good things. But what does it look like when your life changes? What does it look like when um, you're in a relationship or you're out of a relationship or you have children or you get older or, you're, or, or your career uh, aspirations hit a hiccup? Or what does that look like when all these different things happen to us in our lives? And so I just want to remind us of this uh, calling of the disciples. In verse 16 of chapter 1 of Mark, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now remember, that is a Hebrew idiom. He's not making a stupid church joke, okay? Jesus is saying to fish for people means that you will capture their hearts as a teacher does, that you will pull them into a new way of thinking and living. Come and follow me, Jesus says, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, you could read the rest of the Gospels and track these guys' journey. They're stages of discipleship and following Jesus. And they had these weird moments where Jesus was super proud of them. And they did some things and they were excited. And then they had these weird moments where Jesus was like, you guys are idiots. And then they had these moments. And then all of a sudden, uh, Jesus is standing with them at the end. And he said, okay, now it's your turn. And then we see what happens through these guys' lives in the book of Acts. Right? And it seems like they go through stages. They go through ups and downs. And they go through journeys. And they're... And, and they're and they go through stages, and ultimately, the main theme of Easter is this Greek word anastasis, which means to rise up. And the whole point of what Jesus is doing with these disciples, and he's doing with us, is this, he's inviting us to a life that is about the resurrection. He's inviting us to a life that is coming back from the dead. I love this picture. I'm going to show this picture. Um, I'm not a big art history guy, but this is the painting. And I even have a laser pointer. 
Yes. This is the Mandy Mulliken, Trent Mulliken laser pointer I got for my birthday. Um, so, anybody familiar with this picture, this painting? A couple people? Yeah, Barrett. Um, this is the calling of Matthew by a painter in the 17th century named Caravaggio. Now, if you go to Rome, which I haven't, and you walk a few blocks from there, there's a little church uh, called San Luisi de Francesca, and it sounds like a really good pizza. And um, this is Caravaggio's version, modern day to him, version of the calling of Matthew. So over here is Jesus, okay? And um, you can tell, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to see on the big screen, but it looks like they're super dressed up, but they're not. According to uh, people who know art and history, um, these folks are, it's like casual Friday. And they're in a dingy, dark pub. And for artists to even show feet, okay, down here, um, was kind of scandalous. It was kind of like, this looked like a kind of a a rough, dirty painting. In fact, when it was first seen, there was a lot of shock and awe about it. It was pretty scandalous. And there's, notice the fingers. There's people pointing. Um, This guy, he's, he's counting his money. He's counting his dishonest gain, if you will. And, and Jesus is pointing. And, and he's pointing. And this is Matthew right here. And it's almost like Matthew's saying, wait, me? Like you're pointing at me? And the reason why I show this is I think it's really interesting. A lot of times we get uh, our own mental images stuck in our heads of some of these stories. And it's neat to see other versions of them. And I think what we have here in this painting is something pretty interesting. We have a version, a painter saying, this is a God who's local. This is a God who's on scene. This is a God who kind of steps into our own lives and our own human affairs. Um, And he points. He calls us to rise up. He calls us to anastasis, to a resurrected life. And you're probably thinking, Ryan, this is really neat, but what does this have to do with, I mean, this is great art history and all. Let's read Matthew chapter 9. This is the calling of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Um, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. So what's the point? The point is, is that the resurrection life doesn't begin when we die. It begins when we're awake. And for many of us, that idea of awakening that we talked about last week, that moment when we, believe, when we started to believe that there could be a different version of the story than the one I'm living or the one that my world is telling me. There could be a better version of life out there 
than what I've been hearing. And when we, we kind of come face to face with the fact that Jesus points at us and calls us to rise up, come and follow me, there's a transformational journey ahead of us. It's not a one moment thing where we go, okay, take it, put it in my pocket, now I can go on living the rest of my life. But it begins at awakening and it continues through the next seasons of our life. Things that, hold, the, things that we used to hold on to need to go away. Things that, think, there's things that we need to stay leaning into in our lives. And I love um, the Greek um, translation of 1 John 17. It's been something I've been kind of ruminating on in my life lately. And we're going to show it to you with a picture. And this picture coming on the screen. As he is, so we are in this world. As he is, as Jesus is, so we are in this world. And that's ultimately the goal. And the question for us at every stage in our life is will we surrender to that or will we resist that? Will we embrace this or will we kind of push it aside? Because as 2 Corinthians says, we're little icons. We're little icons of who Jesus is. We're transformed. And it says in 2 Corinthians, this idea of we're developing from glory to glory, meaning we're transforming throughout our lives, that there are stages in our lives that, that, uh, that begin to change for us. And I kind of shared with you a little bit about my journey last week, um, that there are moments that I could look at in my life and go, that is a moment where God was trying to pull me into another stage. And at every stage in your journey, we have to pay attention to every part of our life. That's why reflection is so key. That's why solitude and silence and reading scripture and being around other people is so key because those are the moments in our lives that God is trying to do something. But here's the thing. And here's the real key thing for this morning. It is possible to partially seek God. It is. It is possible to partially seek God. We kind of ended with this last week. Consider in your own life the possibility that there are parts of your life, okay, and person that are asleep to following Jesus. That there are parts in your life that are really awake to following Jesus and you're just really aware of who Jesus is, but there are parts of your life that potentially could be asleep. And God wants you and I to reflect on those areas of our lives and to rise up to, to anastasis, right? And, and one of the things I think is really key to thinking through this is the ancient Hebrew prayer called the Shema. Anybody familiar with the Shema? A couple people. Now, here's what we're going to do. This is group participation time. Yes. I don't make you do this much, but what I'd like for you to do is stand up and I want you to hold your pinky in the air. And I want you to repeat this after me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, 
And with all your strength. You guys are good. All right, you can sit down. Now, the reason for the pinky. Why the pinky? Well, the idea for the uh, ancient Israelites is God has more power in his tiny fingertip, this worthless finger, than all of Pharaoh's resources. That was the idea. And so they would, they would recite the Shema three to four times a day by themselves or in community, and many times with their pinky in the air, waving it like they just don't care. I had to do it. So here's the thing. Here's the thing with this. It's a central passage in Scripture. And a lot of times that we don't, we don't think of it as a central passage in Scripture until we come across words of Jesus that say it's a central passage in Scripture. So people would ask Jesus all the time, what is the greatest command? And he would say, well, what do you think it is? And then they would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then they would add and love what? Your neighbor is yourself. That's the idea. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. For the people of Israel, out of the five senses, hearing was the most important for spiritual formation. Now, for them, it wasn't about listening. Hearing for the people of Israel didn't just mean you know, hearing sounds come into your head. Hearing meant a, a formational process that meant your life changed because of what you heard, okay? So for the people of Israel, when they said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, hearing only happened when it was walked out and integrated into the rest of your life. That's when you knew hearing happened. And so apparently you and I can listen and do nothing about what we listen to. Dan, say something. Okay. Uh, so, so we've had a conversation about this. There's no difference. Yes, absolutely. And Dan, I appreciate that, and I was getting to that. Oh, okay. So, because <laughs> we, had, we had this conversation. Yeah, there's no difference between those words. And so uh, it wasn't, hey, listen, Israel, let me pump your head full of doctrine. It was, it was more, let me form you. I want to form you. And part of that is oh, obedience. And if we're honest, it's easy for us to partially seek God. We have really good ways of category, categorizing our lives. We got our work life. We got our Christian life. We've got our sports life. We have our entertainment life. We have our family life. We have our different lives. And it's easy for us to hold a theology in our heads or an emotional connection in our hearts and never really gets fleshed out in other areas of our life. So, this idea of heart, soul, strength. The idea that Jesus began with this idea of a road, a hadas, the way. That's why the early Christian followers were called the way. Now, here's the thing. Three different illustrations Um, And then um, a few other things as we think about all this. First illustration, bobbleheads. Anybody have a bobblehead? Remember when bobbleheads were super cool and you used to collect those? If you don't know what a bobblehead is, um, (laughs) I don't know why you wouldn't. But if you don't know, 
If you've never seen The Office and Dwight Schrute's Bible, bobblehead um, or, or different pro athletes, they have bobblehead night at the, at the ballpark or whatever. Basically, it's a little figure with a head that bobbles of that athlete, right? And so uh, Jaden was telling me when his car got stolen, one of the guys that comes to church here, um, uh, he got it back like a month later. But everything was, everything was intact except for they took his Jesus bobblehead. He was super bummed, you know. So bobblehead, and this is just a metaphor for this idea that you and I can amass a whole bunch of knowledge in our heads. We can go to Bible studies over and over and over again. We can learn all these things. And, and we can feel like we know a lot and that knowing things uh, makes us um, a better follower of Jesus. And many of us are theological bobbleheads. Meaning it's all up here and we can recite things and even quote passages, but we have little action associated with the things that we know. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. This is the one that I struggle with the most. I mean, I went to seminary. I did, you know, I read a lot of books, whatever. (laughs) But I can do all those things and still be a total jerk. I can do all those things and still ignore all the hard things that are going on around me. I can do all those things and isolate myself off from the pain in people's lives and what God is calling me to do. I can do all those things and actually shut my heart off to what God is trying to do in me um, in a very deep emotional way. Second one is, is, is this, and I know this is going to be tough for some of those who are younger, but... Uh, Saturday morning cartoons usually uh, involved two characters. One of them was a guy named Popeye. Another was a, 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 a raccoon or a skunk called Pepe Le Pew. You remember these two characters? Popeye. Let's talk about Popeye first. Popeye was just kind of this uh, character who, when he, he had this power that when he ate cans of spinach, um, his forearms would get enormous. And he would jump into action, punch people, whatever, get out of, he would, he would do justice, right? He would, he would fix what was broken in the world with his huge forearms, okay? Now, the problem with Popeye, and the metaphor that I'm looking at, is Popeye was a man of action, right? But there wasn't really, like, if you watch the cartoons, and I didn't analyze them as I was a kid, and I really don't think I'm going to analyze them as an adult. The point is, is it didn't seem like he had this real depth of emotion or intellect to him. He was just a man of action. And I think many times some of us can get really caught up in doing things for God and really have so much disconnected from who God is and and who we are in relation to God. This is where people get caught up in activism and things like that. The other analogy is Pepe Le Pew. Now, Pepe Le Pew was a skunk that always wanted to be affirmed and loved by people around him. In fact, it's kind of creepy, and with the Me Too movement, it's really inappropriate. This skunk had some really inappropriate things that he did. But the point is, is this skunk, was his whole life was about the next emotional response and the next emotional connection. And sometimes the danger for followers of Jesus is to live your life based on that. The next worship experience the next teaching, the next emotionally driven speaker that can find ways to make you cry. 
And there's much more. And so there's parts of us that we, we depending on how you're wired, you might be wired towards one of those two, three, one of those things. And, 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 and these metaphors matter because they expose something in us. They expose a, a temptation that we all face to partially seek God. The other thing they do, and this is really important, Jesus is offering us an invitation to grow and to pay attention to every dimension of who we are. And so for some of us, um, if you've been kind of like me, I'm stuck maybe reading books and thinking theologically and having conversations like that. I've got to find ways to push myself in other areas. I've got to find myself uh, to push myself in, in ways of, of worship and, and openly worshiping as a community and, and to seek ways for me to, to uh, engage the world in, in, in more difficult ways than I've ever done. So I want to introduce you to a book. You know I do quotes. And here I am. I just talked about reading books. This one fundamentally changed how I follow Jesus. His name is Scott McKnight. It's called The Jesus Creed. And the reason why I bring it up is for some of us in the room, it would be good to like dig into what Jesus meant by loving God with everything and loving people with everything. And here's a quote from that book. Scott McKnight. Many think Jesus came to earth so you and I can have a special kind of spiritual experience and go merrily along as long as we pray and read our Bibles and develop intimacy with the unseen God but ignore the other's oriented life of justice and love and peace that Jesus embodied. The Shema is kind of like this idea that the people of Israel took with them as a community. In fact, if you read a little further, the Shema, it, it says this, verse 6 of Deuteronomy. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. So basically, all the time. <laughs> Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So this is the idea behind this is the most central Jewish prayer. Can it be the most central piece of your stage of discipleship? Like right now. And I think many people do not suffer in the church. We don't suffer from spiritual unbelief. We actually suffer from spiritual boredom. I think a lot of us are just bored. We've read the books. We've gone to this. We've done that. We kind of know the lingo. And we've been given an imagination that goes beyond trying to defend our faith at the workplace or, or whatever. We've been given a bigger imagination to that than that. And here's what I would say. And here's what I've come to realize in my own life. Unbelief is a symptom. It's actually a symptom of a domesticated imagination that partially pursues God. And the more and more people I talk to that are struggling with their faith and struggling, it's not necessarily they're struggling with the God of Scripture. They're actually struggling with the God that they were taught to follow. A God that says, don't do this, do that. 
and, and, and read your Bible and show up at church, and, and that's the extent of it. That's the imagination we've been given. And I want to invite you to consider that there's some new ways to think about your life with Jesus. That this morning, the Holy Spirit would light up something in your mind and encourage you this morning. Because I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask, I'm going to throw out a few ideas uh, about directions that you could point your life into. And, and last week at the end of the sermon, I talked about what are the invitations of Jesus to me at this stage of my apprenticeship to Jesus? What is God trying to say to me now? Maybe you're an empty nester. Maybe you're just having your first child. Maybe you're, you're, you're seeking out your career. Whatever it is, what is the invitation to Jesus for you right now? And what are the places that you might potentially might hear God say, I want you to rise up in this area, okay? So here's the first one, upward. This idea of how do I regularly guide my heart into transcendence, meaning how do I regularly think of God in ways that are bigger and, and, and more beautiful than I ever have? And we forget that we live in a world that is charged with God's divine power and beauty, beauty and meaning. We have to be reminded that we serve a different king. And this is why it's so important to gather as community. And this is part of Eliot's role to help us to draw us as one way we do it. Uh, it's one way you can do it is gather as a community and worship. Um, it's not the only way. Um, how do we give glory to, to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? And, and, and here's the thing. It's just this reminder that I am not alone, that God is local, and that when you raise hands in worship or when you on your knees in prayer, that there's this idea that God is big and moving and powerful and has you in his grip. Like, maybe for some of us, that's a difficult thing. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's some places in your week that you need to have um, a moment of holy defiance to not buy into the societal scripts that we're all hearing all the time, that there's some different story out there. Maybe it's inward. Upward, now inward. Maybe, let me just ask yourself, is there a regular space for silence and solitude and prayer in my life? God continually, I believe, talks in whispers. And for us to, and, and here's the thing, and God loves to speak, and he's not going to compete with the noise in our lives. He's not going to compete with my desire to uh, check the news feed or um, check my email or play a stupid game or listen to the radio. He's not going to compete with that. Do you have space in your life for the inner, for the reflection? How about the word backward? Backward. Do you allow the sacred scripture to shape the script of your life? Do you allow picking up the scriptures and reading the gospels to shape your life? Whether it's the gospels or the New Testament or the Old Testament, whatever it is, this idea of tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads. This is really important. The word bind in Hebrew is the same word that was used in the mating of horses. Here's an image for you. 
okay? And the reason why I think that's amazing is the text that they knew that when you bind the text to your life, something new gets created. That's the idea behind this. That when you mate scripture to your life and heart, there will be something that comes from that. And it's, it's a difficult thing to be an apprentice of Jesus unless you are really reading your rabbi. Unless you are reading your rabbi. And this might be an opportunity for some of us um, to do this in community. Like I would encourage, if you're not a part of a group or, or you're not sitting with people uh, regularly, um, find some people and maybe just make a commitment. Like, hey, let's get together once a month. Uh, let's get together once a week, actually, and read the Gospels together out loud and talk about it. Let's take a chunk and talk about it. That's kind of one of the flavors that we have at 10-man table and, and different groups are doing this. It's just to, to open scripture up together and to read it and let it read us. It's a really powerful thing. How about the word forward? This is, this is may, maybe where some of you are at. Are you willing to take the next step in your journey? And that's the question, forward. I meet so many people who are drifting away because of doubt. I have conversations with people all the time that have kind of a PTSD with church and church things. Um, Here's the thing. Doubt is real. It's real. And I wouldn't be, I would be lying to you to tell you that I haven't experienced doubt and, and many people in my circle haven't experienced doubt. Uh, but some places, some places, some churches, some groups of people actually believe it's all about certitudes, meaning there's no room for doubt. And doubt is kind of repudiated. Doubt is like a bad thing. Let's not talk about that. Um, that's not this place, okay? People wrestle here all the time, and you are welcome to wrestle. My encouragement to you is this. The other side of the pendulum... Okay? of this idea of certitude, the other side of the pendulum is something called deconstruction. And you maybe have heard this word before, maybe not, but this idea that um, living in doubt is to be celebrated. Let's stay in this place. Let's, um, let's deconstruct everything we've ever known about Scripture and, and church and the Bible and Jesus and, and, and celebrate what we've done. Okay? And, and this, is, this is really prevalent right now. It's huge. Um, podcasts like The Liturgist and The Bad, Bad Christian Podcast, they, they have that bent to them. And I would say, and I would encourage you, I'm not saying don't listen to those. I'm just saying that, that some of that um, is celebrated in, in different places. Nowhere in the New Testament, though, is, is doubt repudiated. Is doubt, you know, like, um, uh, uh, you know, is, are the writers against doubt? Uh, in the New Testament, doubt, doubt is actually validated, but it's not celebrated. Does that make sense? And so my, my encouragement for you, if you find yourself in this place, a deconstruction is, is actually can be healthy, but it's, it's a phase. And at some point, I want to encourage you to take the next step forward, not towards a certitude, but towards trust and faith and fidelity. Where... You know, sometimes in the deconstruction mind, like brunch is a spiritual experience. 
because you're not at church. Brunch is, brunch is great. Can we, get, can we agree on brunch? But that's a, that's a spiritual practice. I've yet to find a story more satisfying and more transforming than the, than the one Jesus invites us to. And that's the one, I, that's where I, I sit with people who are in this deconstruction thing. In fact, I shared this. Someone told me this once, and I think it's really good. Deconstruction is like the Las Vegas Strip. You should drive through, but don't make your home there. Like, I think it's a good thing to drive through that and to think through those things, but don't stop. Don't buy a home there. And so maybe you're here and there's some cynicism that's been running in your life for some time now and you're frustrated and you're angry. Maybe you need to experience healing. Maybe you need to go to some people in your life that kind of shared some things with you or or frustrated you or, or burned you out. My question for you today is, are you willing to take the next step forward? Like forward. And that step is not certitude, it's trust, it's fidelity. And, and maybe you need some new people to walk the journey of faith with. And I would encourage you to, to seek those out. With word, not really word. But the next word is with word. <laughs> with word. And here's the thing. Do you intentionally spend time with others feasting and talking deeply about Scripture, about Jesus? There is a togetherness of the Shema prayer. They said it together. They pushed into it together. And, and here's the thing. There's a real do-it-yourself spirituality mentality in our world. People just got, nope, I know Jesus. I have my own thing with Jesus, and I don't want to do that with anybody else. Well, it turns out you can't. You can't follow Jesus alone. And so I want to encourage you, then maybe the next step for you is you've got to find people to do that with which means it's going to change the week, the patterns in your life. It's going to change um, your Tuesday nights or your Tuesday mornings or whatever. It's going to change something because you have to be with them and their schedule has to be with you. And it takes intentionality. And the other one is this. This is the last one. Nope, it's not the last one. Lied. Outward. Where do you routinely orient your life, okay, beyond the project of your own self? Like, listen, most of us, if we're honest and we look at our schedules and we look at our lives, a great percentage of our lives is around our lives. I mean, let's just be honest. We got to go grocery shopping today to get ready for the week. We got kids going to school. We got, we got all these things that we've got to do. And it's oriented around our lives. And we think to ourselves, man, if I just had more time, maybe I could volunteer here or do something there or think of people outside of my own circle. And many of us can actually forget that there's a world out there that is hurting. I know we watch the news. I know we get like the tweets and all that stuff. But ultimately, uh, it's a little farther removed from me and I don't have to really get involved. But here's the thing. God has intentionally designed every single one of us to fit a need now. Like you are designed to, to show up and to be a servant somewhere in this community, in this world right now. That doesn't involve the church or a Sunday morning. It actually involves you making that time to do what God's called you to do, to pull you out of 
the project of yourself. I love this quote by Scott McKnight. Those who aren't following Jesus aren't his followers. It's that simple. Followers follow. And those who don't follow aren't followers. To follow Jesus means to follow Jesus into a society where justice rules, where love shapes everything. To follow Jesus means to take up his dream and work for it. That should be something that rattles around in us a bit. Followers follow. And for some of us, this outward piece has been something we've been afraid to jump into. Let me just tell you, there's so many places to get involved. There's so many places to meet a need. There's so many places. A friend of mine who's a, uh, a pastor out east, every Thursday he volunteers at a woodworking facility for ex-cons who are learning how to do woodworking in their lives to better you know, the next step in their career. And he sometimes comes home with splinters and he's, he's, he tells me it's just one of the things he looks forward to every week. Like how can you make that happen in your life? The last one, this promises is the last one, is downward. This is the one we don't like. This is not how our culture and society works. Our culture and society works about upward, bigger, better, the next step, climbing the ladder, bigger house, bigger this, bigger bank account, uh, next step on the career uh, pathway, all that stuff. But the forgotten direction and really the main direction of Jesus is downward. It's downward. Bernard of Clairvaux, he was a uh, great thinker and a teacher And someone came up to him and asked him, what are the greatest virtues for a follower of Jesus? And he's like, you ready? First one, humility. Second one, humility. Third one, humility. He said that over and over and over again. This idea of being aware of who you are, and, and you are going to always be frustrated in following Jesus unless part of your life, all of your life begins to experience humility. If you're too big to serve people outside of your economic circle, you're not going to experience following Jesus. This idea of, it comes up a lot in faith walking. And I'm going to invite you to be a part of Faith Walking 101 if you've never done it. But this idea of honest self-confrontation, to like actually see yourself and how you show up in very authentic, like just to be really honest with who you are, is really the first step to seeing what God wants to do with you. Where is God moving right now for some of you in this conversation? Upward? Inward? Is it backward? Is it forward? Is it withward? Is it outward? Or is it downward? Where is God? Where is God calling you to rise up? Where is God asking you and pulling you and beckoning you into a new way of living? Last quote from Scott McKnight. Jesus wanted far more than to be accepted into one's life. He wanted to take over. 
And his essential call was to trust him enough to surrender one's entire being to him. That's what it looks like. And so the challenge for you last week that I gave you, we're going to see if any of you did it. The challenge was to share your story with somebody else. To learn to share what state, you know, to kind of map your journey with somebody else. And I'm, yeah, does anybody do that? A couple people, hey, that's awesome. Okay. means a lot of you are about a week out of doing homework. I'm going to keep pushing you on this. Okay. And for those of you who did it, did, you, did that, you find life doing it? Was that a good experience for you? Was that helpful? Did people ask questions? Did you hear their stories? Yeah? No? That you just told yours. All right. So here's what I want you to do. There's, there's, you've got time between now we're going we're gonna to do communion, we're going to sing a little bit, and we're going to go. And then there's donuts and coffee out there. And this would be a great opportunity for you to go, hey, why don't we get some coffee? Why don't we share stories? Why don't we talk about this? Why don't we see where we're at, what stage you're at, where you, what do you, what's rumbling around in your head and your heart right now? The second challenge I gave you last week, I'm going to give it to you today again too. If you've never done Faith Walking 101, it's a two-day retreat at the end of the month, August 23rd, 24th. There's still spots available. Many of us will be at it for both days. Um, you will be in a small group with someone led by somebody here at our church. I would encourage you, if you would like to do that, you can sign up through our website. Go to events, Faith Walking 101. Cost $75. If that's a problem, we will help you do it. Let that not be a problem, okay? My other challenge for you, take that next step, right? So let me pray, and then Dan's going to lead us into communion.